Hi, my name is Joe, and I lead the college group here at Seacoast. This week, we had one of our students write in online to share how God has been working in her through our Go series. So I wanted to take a few minutes just to share with you her story. I've been really challenged through this series to go wherever I am and to seek opportunities to love those I come into contact with daily and to share the good news. I work as a cashier at a local grocery store and see a wide variety of people every day. I've begun to see windows of opportunities open before me with my coworkers and customers I interact with. Today, I had an opportunity to go and to care for a woman I see regularly. I met her within a few weeks of me working there when she came through my line. She is a local homeless lady that often sits outside the store for hours on end with her basket full of belongings that she carries day to day. She doesn't have much, but she has a smile that brightens anyone's day and genuine friendliness. Sadly, many pass her by without much of a smile, even making judgments at her for the state that she is in. Every day, she buys the same thing. I've gotten to know that she likes her items double-bagged and plastic. I've also gotten to have brief conversations with her. She asked me about my Christmas, about my opinions about plastic bag ban, and the Super Bowl weekend. After listening to the challenges from the Ghost series, I was reminded that love speaks and love acts in even the most common ways. So, I decided to buy this woman lunch and set a chat with her for a few minutes. It turned out that she is searching for hope and has lots of questions. I didn't have all the right answers and I admit I stumbled through, but I was able to share with her the hope that I have in Christ. She asked me why I have faith and seemed intrigued that I have a reason to hope. I wanted to relay to her that Jesus is a ransom of her past, present, and future. She asked many questions about eternity and where I think I'd end up. If Jesus is God, the difference between other religions and Christianity. I could tell that she wanted to know God and experience his love and is searching, yet confused by many incomprehensible questions that are difficult to grasp and understand. I had to go back to work, but before we finished our conversation, I invited her to Seacoast. I really hope that she comes sometime. I'd love for her to meet the church family and to be able to ask the questions on her mind. I can't say I did anything perfectly. I stumbled through my answers, my verse recollections, and my explanations, but I'm confident that God will use my conversation and any conversations we have in the future. I'm excited for what God is doing in my everyday life at work. I can't help but think, though it's small, what if that lunch was a small part of God's changing her eternity? So after hearing that story, we're left with the question, where are we going in our everyday lives? And how is God working in and through us? We'd love to hear your story, and you can do so by going to www.seacoast-church.org. Go to Next Steps and click Share Your Story. We would love to hear from you. Go. God's call for ordinary people in their everyday life. You got to love that letter. Did you like that? I did. Yeah, you ought to clap for that letter. That's that's a great example that one of our college students shared. And uh, maybe uh, if you have similar stories, I hope you do. If you don't, get one. Get one this week and and go to the website. Write it down. Maybe we can read your letter. Keep it anonymous if you want it to be anonymous. But we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life as we study what it means to to respond to this call for ordinary people in everyday life. My name is Pastor Dale. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 today. 
Ephesians chapter 2, as we continue to look at some of the great passages in the scripture that have go implications. So Ephesians chapter 2, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thanks for the chance to listen to you again. Thank you that one of the things we do in worship is we listen. We want to listen to you and ask you to teach us, uh, speak to our lives, uh, shape us, change us, uh, help us to learn more about what it means uh, to simply be a follower of Jesus in everyday life. So we love you and ask you to teach us from Ephesians today in Christ's name. Amen. A couple years ago, I ran across an article in the L.A. Times in what they call their religion notebook page of the L.A. Times. Uh, It was an article on religious trends in America. It talked a lot about the trend concerning Christianity, and here are some of the words that it used concerning how things were trending as it relates to the church. It said there was increased spiritual indifference, ambivalence, indeed even negativity toward Christianity especially the church, and that it had been growing for several years as they had been surveying people, especially among young adults. But yet, by contrast, it also said that there was actually an increase and an interest in spirituality in general. In other words, people are not disinterested in God. They're kind of interested in God. They're interested in the spiritual side of life, but yet increasingly, God, or spirituality at least, is up, but the church is down. It was an article that just kind of confronted me again with something I've known for years, which a lot of times we tune out to, and that is we are living in what I would call a post-Christian America, which means, of course, we're living in a world that is exactly like the world the Bible was written for, which is kind of cool, you know? In other words, the Bible was not really written for people that live in a culture in which the the majority opinion is Christianity. The Bible was written to a world in which Christianity was the was the uh, the breaking new minority on the scene. It was a fresh idea. It was a new idea. As Ryan taught us last week, it was the, the good news that was beginning to spread around the Roman world and, and around the world as people heard that, wow, maybe God is knowable. Maybe God has stepped into history. Maybe Jesus was real. Maybe he did something to prove that he was God. This was, this was new on the scene. And, and, and to a certain extent, I think increasingly in American culture, that is exactly where we are. In short, the culture has tuned us out. So the question really in this series is as we talk about what it means to go and engage our culture as followers of Jesus, what does that look like? How do we, uh, if not open the hearts of our people, how do we at least open their ears to want to hear what this Jesus is all about? Not so much to talk church, but to talk the reality of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, and, and the relevance that he has in our lives. I think the answer to that question is not found in the latest cool book on how to be cool as a church. Although I love the fact that we can engage our culture in any way we can that connects to their technology or whatever. But the answer is not in the latest book on culture or missions. I think the greatest book probably ever written on this topic is the book that was written to the church living in a hostile culture, a culture in which All kinds of things were very different from the way God had designed the work to run. A culture that had vastly different ways of thinking about morality and sexuality and everything else, but a culture that was eager and searching for hope and understanding of who the real God is. 
And that's the culture in which I believe you and I are called to live every single day. And I think that's kind of exciting. So you can get ticked off over that, and some Christians do, but I prefer to say, hey, you know something? What a great time to be alive and to represent Christ and represent truth to a culture that is looking. Today we're going to look at Ephesians 2. And uh, as we look at Ephesians 2, I really kind of want to unpack two ideas. One very briefly, one in more detail. I want to look at this thing in context. Our key verse for the morning is verse 10. But I want to back up a little bit and give you a little bit of input on verses 1 through 9 first. And then we're going to see the relevance of verse 10 and why it is so exciting. I think one of the things we're going to see, one of two things are this. Number one, for us to experience... And truly understand the uniqueness of the gospel is foundational if we're going to go with that message to the world. And I think Ryan did a great job last week beginning to unpack that the the fact that the gospel really is good news. We've almost begun to believe in our culture that it's bad news. The reality is there is bad news for people apart from God and apart from Christ. But the reality is we got some great news and we should be excited about that. We're going to see why that news is so great again as we see the context. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to really appreciate the uniqueness of the gospel, the good news of Christ. And then secondly, the major thing we're going to do is this middle section of your outline. If you want to take out the outline, take a few notes. I've given you an outline to follow. The second section is where I'm going to spend the rest of our time. In fact, let me just kind of surprise you. The third section on your handout, I'm saving that for the rest of the series, okay? Because as I looked at the first two sections the last couple days, I thought this is rich enough. We're just going to hang there and we'll come to the rest of the stuff later on. But I've given you some verses you can be looking up this week in section three. But just in case you're one of those people that likes to take notes and you feel really uptight if you don't have something written in every box, don't worry about it. Got it? Okay, so here we go. Let's look at it. Because we're going to see the uniqueness of the gospel. And then we're going to talk about the uniqueness of you. And why that's important to understand that you are a unique person, custom made by God for this mission of going. That's where we're headed. Father God, teach us. We need your help. We need your wisdom. So teach us again from this great book written to the Ephesian church. Help us understand how they were commissioned to go. Help us to understand how how each of us, in a very unique way, uh, are equipped by your grace, custom made by your grace to do that. In Christ's name, amen. Listen to the word. Let's pick it up, Ephesians. First point. Let's go verses 8 and 9, and then we'll get the context. For by grace you have been saved, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one, not one of us, can boast or should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. First big idea of the passage is simply this. Grace works without our, without our works. Grace works without our works. Grace gets the job done. It gives us life totally apart from anything that we do to deserve it, earn it, or uh, impress God. Uh, I read an article a few years ago about C.S. Lewis, um, and Lewis, as a philosopher, had walked into a, a British conference on comparative religion. And he walked into this discussion, kind of actually a rather heated debate was going on. And when he asked what was up, they they explained that the discussion was this question. The question they were debating was, uh, what, if anything, 
was a unique concept, unique to the Christian faith alone, apart from other religion. And they had begun already eliminating some of the common answers. The incarnation, in other words, other religions have different versions of God appearing in human form. Well, maybe the resurrection was the answer. But then they said, no, some other religions have accounts, at least, of people coming back from the dead. So the debate was going on for a time. C.S. Lewis walked into the room, and when he heard what they were debating, he just very quickly answered this. He said, that's easy. It's grace. He said, grace is the unique contribution. He went on to say that the notion of God's love, let me quote Lewis, the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhists have their eightfold path to God. The Hindus have the doctrine of karma. The Jewish, the covenant. The Muslim, the code of law. Each of these offers a way to earn approval from God. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. That's what we mean by grace. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Now, when you think about American culture and how most of the average person on the street thinks, let me read you a quote because he goes on in the article to say that in essence, Americans probably think more like Hindus than Christians. Now, why do I say that? Here's what he says. He says, here's a word from Krishna. Here's a, here's a common Hindu saying that says this, in whatever way men approach me, even so do I receive them. For even the paths that men take from every side that is up the mountain toward God are mine. You know, there's that direct quote that says, in whatever way men approach me, I will receive them, is really kind of become the common thinking, I think, in our culture. Now, it'd be, it's a great, that would be great if that were true. Uh, and, and in fact, that even has some appeal to it, doesn't it? I mean, you'd, wouldn't you love if, if that were true? But the fact of the matter is, both Jesus and the Apostle Paul confront that head on. The idea that all roads lead to heaven, all paths lead to God, uh, as long as we do our good deeds, that those good deeds get us there, are, is directly confronted by Jesus. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus is talking directly about this very thing, and, and he talks about in a parable kind of the bad news that sets up the good news of the gospel. And the bad news is, Jesus said, that when it talks about coming to God, he uses the analogy of two gates. You remember this story? If you remember the story, play with me, okay? He says there are two gates. There's a wide gate and a narrow gate, right? And he said that the, um, he said that the narrow gate leads to what? Very good. Narrow gate leads to... Narrow gate leads to life. Wide gate leads to destruction. So the narrow gate, few there are who find it. The wide gate, he says, is kind of the majority deal. Now, Jesus therefore says, therefore, build your faith, build your house up on the rock. And he defines himself as that rock. Don't build it on the sand of culture. Don't build it on the sand of religion. Don't build it on the sand of good works. But realize that no one through their good works can work their way to God. Simple reason is simply this. We still sin. And when man sins, he's separated from God. So God knew that the real problem between him and man was our sin. And the sin needed to be dealt with. And, and as much as I can do some self-improvement and use whatever religion I want to follow to self-improve myself, religion gives me a spiritual boost 
maybe. Maybe it helps me define morality a little better. Maybe it even motivates me to be nicer. So religion can bring a little bit of like a spiritual boost to my soul. But what the scriptures are saying and what Jesus was teaching is that we need life, not just a boost. We need life, not just a boost. I read an article that defined it this way. That kind of works-based religion compared to this concept of grace uh, is very different. It said that works-based religion is about man trying to climb his way to God. It's a common metaphor you're here in religion. Grace-based faith in Christ says that God climbed down to us. Works-based religion says that you need to step up. And if you step up, do your best, you're, you know, or else you'll die. You know? So step up, improve yourself. Whereas grace is the story of God stepping down and dying for us. The offer of religion is a spiritual boost or lift, whereas what the Scriptures teach is what we really need is spiritual life. Because of our sin, we're spiritually dead. And the idea is dead men don't need a boost. Dead men need a resurrection. Does that make sense? So you need life, not just a spiritual boost. You see it in the context of of this passage. Go back with me now. Let me just take you into the context of these two verses that we just read in Ephesians 8 and 9. The context picks up in verse 1. For you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And it goes on to talk about that we were spiritually dead. It picks it back up in verse 4. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were what? Dead. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together in Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised up with him. So what we see is very clear in the context. We should get excited about this good news. Because the good news is humanity experiences spiritual separation from God, referred to as spiritual death. And the reality is we got a solution. And the solution is not trying to just make ourselves better. It's not going to church, whether it's at Seacoast or any other church, and to do a self-improvement program in order to kind of step up so that God is finally going to give you a check mark and say you're in. The reality is, as long as our sin is there, sin separates us from God. So the good news is this. Jesus came. Jesus died. He died on the cross for our sins so that we could actually have life. Now, I'm just kind of rehearsing some of what you heard last week. But I wanted to hit it today because I think it sets up why this should move us to want to go. If we don't get excited about the relevance of the message of Christ and the relevance of the gospel and the good news to our dying world, then we're never going to go because why bother? Because if all roads lead to heaven, then for heaven's sakes, leave everyone alone. But if all roads lead to heaven, Jesus would have stayed in heaven, would have never come to earth. Because the earth was already full of religion. True or false? True. The world had plenty of religion, but what it lacked was a relationship with a God that could actually step out of heaven, solve the real problem, and offer us not a boost, but offer us a resurrection, offer us life. I love the fact that in verse 4 through 8, you have no less, in six verses, you have eight different words about what God did. And here they are. Just kind of underline them in your Bible or notice them, okay? It says, but God, but God, even though we were spiritually dead, but God was rich in mercy 
because of his number two great love with which he loved us number three even though when we were dead in our sins he made us alive together in christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him seated with him in the heavenly places in christ so that in ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his what are you guys looking at your bibles you better watch me. I'm going to change it up on you just to see if you're listening. Okay. Yeah. By the riches of our good works. Is that what it says? No. Okay. Yeah. Boo me down. Give me a little reaction here. Go boo. Okay. Here we go. Hiss. You're free to hiss at me if, if I, if I miss it. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Because the riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow. See, we need to be excited about that. Now, as we get excited about the uniqueness of the fact that grace works without good works. Good works have nothing to do with you having a, a coming alive in Christ and having your relationship with God. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of grace. Now, that moves us into the key verse of the morning, verse 10. So, it has nothing to do with our good works. And then in verse 10, it's like he flips it. And he says, for... We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the good works have nothing to do with your relationship with God and, and, and the gospel, but yet they have everything to do with who you are now that you're a follower of Christ. And it says, in fact, you're actually created for them. So in the outline, I state it this way, grace works without our works and then grace goes to work to put us to work so anyway just play with that another way to say it is this that grace is not the destination of your spiritual life it's not the end point it's the beginning of your spiritual journey with jesus christ so coming to know him and experiencing his grace now changes everything from that point forward how does that happen i'm going to take the verse Break it into four pieces and teach you four principles from this one single verse. And then we're going to wrap up. Are you ready? Here we go. I want to take it apart for you. Number one, four, we are his workmanship. Underline the word his. We are his workmanship. What's the implication of this? That we are created in Christ for good works, but he has worked on us. We are his workmanship. Therefore, you are transformed by God's grace, so be humble. And if anything should adjust my attitude, it's understanding that for that God is now working in me, on me. It calls me his workmanship. It means I'm his project. Okay, I'm his project and he has been changing me. But if I understand that it's his changing me, it doesn't say for now that now in Christ I've I've really come a long way. I've changed myself. Then I could be prideful, right? But if it's his work in me, then I, I got to stay humble. I think what that does is it changes the way I think toward the world outside of the church, the world outside of Jesus Christ. You know, I think I went through a period of my life in which I would tend to, uh, I would tend to look down on people who didn't think like me as a Christian, didn't live like me as a Christian, didn't share my views of sexuality or morality or whatever, and say, you know something, why don't they, if they, if they, you know, if they were smart, they'd come to Christ, they'd be like me, they'd change, they wouldn't be living the life they're living. You know, and, and what this has done is it's reminded me of a saying my parents used to give me. 
And it, was, it goes like this. See if you can complete it if you've heard it. It says, there but by the grace of God go I. There but by the grace of God go I. So it's a reminder to each of us that if we have been changed by Christ in any positive way, which I hope you have been, it's only by God's grace that that's happened. It's him working in me. The fact that I have a marriage that just celebrated 40 years is not something for me to be proud of. It's for something for me to thank God for because I know without Christ in my life, I think Becky would have kicked me out years ago. Amen? Yeah, most of you would say amen to that. Yeah. You, you, but you said it so fast, you know, especially Bill Roth. Okay, so, so the reality is, yeah, but Bill, Patty would never have anything to do with you either, right? Right. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. So... So the reality is, it's Christ who changes us. So therefore, as we relate to our world that is lost without Christ, uh, there's no room for us to be prideful like, wow, you know, I'm so much better than you. No, 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 I'm not better, I'm just blessed by grace. And if I go into it with that attitude, it changes the way I treat people. It changes the way I view people because I recognize that I'm just blessed to have a relationship with Christ that's changed me. We're transformed by his grace, so be humble. Second phrase, let's build the verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let me pause on that. It's a great word. This word uh, workmanship, uh, we are his workmanship in Greek is a word that, that could be translated uh, fabric. It was used for a product, a project. It's, it's kind of like a word that would be used to describe a beautiful tapestry that had been woven by somebody. Now, I looked around the house. My wife doesn't do tapestries anymore. She used to. So if you have a good tapestry for me to illustrate this, bring it next week maybe. But, but picture a, a beautiful tapestry of woven fabric, okay? Not painted, but woven fabric. Now, how do they do that? How do they make that beautiful picture on a tapestry? Uh, if you go to Europe, you'll see huge tapestries hanging from the walls of some of the castles and older buildings. I mean, it's big enough to cover a whole wall. And they're often gorgeous. Now, here's the deal. If you flip it over, what do you see? Huh? Knots and, 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 and nonsense. I mean, it doesn't even make a picture, does it? Or if so, it's very undefined and, and sloppy and you got knots tied off everywhere. And so if you flip it over, Whereas you don't, it doesn't make a lot of sense until after they're done weaving the tapestry, you flip it over and now it makes sense. And what this passage is saying is you are like that tapestry. You're like a tapestry, but you are God's workmanship. You are his workmanship. He is weaving into your life all these different threads that make you who you are. And it's all a work of his grace that you become the person that he, that he has designed you to be. And you're all unique. Every tapestry is unique and different. No two would be alike. What makes up the tapestry? Let me just throw out a few threads that God weaves in our lives. I want you to stop and think for a minute now. Of um, uh, Let's be positive first. Think of what's the, what, what do you feel like uh, as you look over the course of your life, think how would you answer this question? One thing that I... One thing I did really well was, boom. See, one thing I did really well, where you're really talented, really gifted, your talents kind of came together, you, you, you kind of achieved this or that. It's like, what are you best at? See, that's part of who you are. Now, let me jump to the other side of life. One of the things I've encountered in life that was painful 
that Christ brought me through was blank. See, what would you put in that blank? Something painful that you've gone through that's kind of helped make you who you are today. Can I invite a few of you just to say a word or a phrase? If, yeah. So what, what would be one thing painful in life? Right now, today, listen to this sermon, probably even, I know, but right now, today. No, I'm serious. But yeah, so you're going through something right now that's painful. Good. Thanks for sharing that. Someone else. In your past, financial difficulty, abuse. Understanding the meaning of pain so that we can use that experience to relieve pain for others. Okay, understanding pain and then trying to use that to help others. Anything else? Death of a loved one. I did this little exercise this past week at a conference. I spoke for a couple of days to a conference of mostly senior adults out in the desert, these snowbirds that come into Palm Desert, you know. And uh, they invited me out for a conference to speak. And I spoke on the topic of understanding God's purpose for pain. Now, when the audience is made up mostly of people age 65 and up, they got a lot of life behind them and a lot of pain. And boy, as I threw that topic out, I heard everything. Boom, boom, boom. It just popped. People said the death of a child. Someone right after that said the death of two children. Someone after that said the death of two children and my husband in the same year. Someone else said cancer. Someone else said three bouts with cancer. Someone else said this. Someone else said that. I mean, they had every form of pain and suffering that you can imagine. But yet they were gathered as followers of Jesus Christ wanting to learn how to use that. And see, what I wanted to show you is whether it's your successes, your talents, the high points in your life, or whether it's some of the lowest points in our lives, God takes all of that, and and what this means is we are His workmanship. We are His, His personal, in fact, I would translate it this way. We are His custom crafted instrument of grace. And therefore, understand that it's okay to be who God has made you to be. Take what he has built into your life, education, where you were raised, your family that you grew up in, painful experiences, gifts and talents, successes, failures, everything weaves together to make you who you are. You have hobbies that are very different, right? You know, you have hobbies in this room. People enjoy different things. You have passions in this room. So, so the reality is all of this weaves you together. And when the scriptures say you are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. What he's saying is, be the unique person God has created you to be. Be who God has created. We'll come back to that in a minute. Third step. We are to be His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Third step, for good works. There's purpose behind God's weaving of your life. There's purpose behind that which God has prepared that we should walk in them. Third principle, this. You have a divinely ordained, what I want to call today your 210 mission, so be available to be used by God. I call it your 210 mission because of Ephesians 2.10. In other words, every one of us has a unique 210 mission. Sometimes one of the mistakes we make in life is we picture going for Christ into our world and we think that all of us should do that the same way. The reality is that you, you, God wants you to leverage 
the uniqueness of who you are and always be asking, how can God use me? Not how can God use who I'm not, how can God who, use who I am to make a difference? I'll give you a couple little examples. Uh, several years ago, I was at a different dinner. I hang out with old people a lot, okay? So forgive me if these, but old people have a lot of wisdom. And I was having dinner with this gal. Her name was Vera. She was, uh, she was uh, with her older husband. She was clear to make that known to me that she's not as old as him. He was celebrating his 90th anniversary or 90th birthday. So he had turned 90 that year, and she was, but he married a younger woman. She was, I think, 87. So, you know, he really liked young girls. So, so the reality is, here they were, like age 90, 90, and I think it was 88, 87, 88. And Vera told me, I said, so Vera, what do you like to do? And she, and cause she said, well, I'm in a wheelchair, so I can hardly get out of the house. But I, I, I learned years ago to knit. And I said, really? I said, so what do you do? We just kind of knit stuff for your grandkids or what? She said, no, 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 that's not what I do. She said, I knit these very colorful knit caps. And she said, and I've networked with the local hospitals, and I give a colorful knit cap to every woman who begins chemotherapy where she knows she'll lose her hair so that she can be beautiful when she goes out, even without her hair. She said, I do this. And then I include a little story of my life and some verses of scripture that give me hope in Christ. And I include those and I give those caps as a gift via the local hospitals to every woman that I, that I can. I said, wow. So have you done this a couple times or how often you do this? She said, well, she said, actually, I think I've given out about 800. 800 handcrafted knit caps, all given with the message of Christ to people that are facing chemotherapy. All done from a wheelchair. All done because she took the one thing she felt like she was good at and she said, how can God use me? I love that. I love that story. I love that story. On the other end of the spectrum, I heard uh, the year after Katrina hit and ravished the Mississippi, Louisiana coast. Remember that? When Katrina came through, wiped out so much territory uh, that there was a challenge came out that one of the biggest problems they faced was just the massive amount of trees that had that had been blown over on the power lines and everything else that were blocking roads and everything else and it had to be cleaned out so i heard of a, of a guy that said you know something i'm not sure if god can use me but he said i my hobby and passion is i love my chainsaw this guy was a chainsaw nut he didn't do it for a business but he just loved cutting stuff up you know okay and so he kind of started his chainsaw for Jesus idea. So he said, hey, anywhere there's a catastrophe, and he organized a few other guys that love to cut stuff up with chainsaws, and they said, you know, we're not really good about going and just kind of talking about Jesus, but you know something, by golly, I can cut your tree down faster than you can anybody else. So they, they literally started a ministry where whenever they hear of a catastrophe or something happens or a neighbor or a friend has something that needs to be cut up, boom they're on it they take their chainsaws they load up they go to the disaster the uh, zone and they just uh, share their faith by cutting up those trees for people that can't get the power back on and that's what they do and that's there they just live for the next storm <laughs> you know they watch the weather channel with a different attitude than the rest of us but how many of you would have thought, wow, maybe if I like playing with chainsaws, I can be used by Jesus. 
So whether you're knit caps or use chainsaws. First service, I was talking to Greg Byers in our church. Greg did the announcement about men's skills. And Greg was telling me that he heard about a group up in Orange County getting ready to do a bike ride to raise money to buy bicycles for people in Rwanda, in Africa, one of our target countries. So he said, hey, I'm in. I'll do that. So, uh, But not only is he doing that, he's also invited four of his buddies to do it with him. Uh, and to come along and expose them to what they're doing and why they're doing it. He's saying, oh, why buy bikes for Rwanda? Are these Christmas gifts? No, this is like a job for people. In Rwanda, very few cars, number one means of transportation is a bike. You buy a bike for a guy, he not only has transportation, most of them use them commercially. They, they, they custom make padded seats, put them on the back, and they become taxis where people pay a dime, a quarter, a dollar, depends on how far you want to be ridden and whether it's up or downhill, okay? There's a whole system to this thing. And you see people all over Rwanda being carried on the backs of bicycles. But sometimes they can't afford to get that bike. They can't afford to go into business. So what's Greg doing? He says, hey, I love to ride bikes. That's his number one hobby. So he's leveraging his hobby to not just help provide for Rwanda, but he's bringing four of his friends to do it, and they may or may not even be involved in church, but it's a great thing to do together. So what I'm showing you is whatever God has built into your fabric, you want to be asking, how can I use my divinely ordained mission and just be available to be used by God? Last but not least, last but not least, the passage ends with this phrase. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, here's the principle. Your 210 calling is not an activity, it's a lifestyle. So often we're already busy enough and we think, you know, I don't have time to add another activity to my life. But the really cool thing about this verse is it's not asking you to add an activity it's calling you to orient your lifestyle so that whatever you naturally do in life, whether it's a hobby, skill, talent, uh, whether it's your business, your job, you bring Christ and you bring the presence of Christ and you just love on people naturally in the name of Christ around you. And God will use you. He's wired you to do that. In fact, it says these good works God prepared beforehand, before you even knew Christ, He chose you and decided to weave you in a way that you could walk in these acts of love and kindness. So you walk in them. It's a lifestyle, not an activity. It's your way of living out the great commandment. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're just loving and bringing the love of Christ into your life. A little uh, saying that I like to use to communicate this is this. God is asking you to turn your busyness into his business. I just kind of soak on that. I, I thought it was cute. Busyness, business. One letter changes, okay? And it goes, because we're naturally busy people. True or false? Yeah. Anybody bored? Nothing to do? See, life is busy. Life is already busy. I love my buddy Ryan likes to talk about this as the rhythms of life. And we have rhythms of our life that make us busy. We have jobs, we have kids, we have sports, we have hobbies, we have interests, 
We, you know, we have all kinds of things that are just naturally woven into our lives. We are busy. But how about this? Say, God, how do you turn my busyness into part of your business of growing the kingdom of God? See, that's worth thinking about. We want to help you as a church to do that. That's why the final section was the fact that grace also equips us for this very calling. I'm not going to teach you through these verses, but feel free to look them up this week. But I will tell you that part of what we're doing is we're going to offer some forums and they were mentioned earlier, but I just wanted to highlight them again because I know if you're like me, you're kind of wondering, wow, but you know, I can do works of kindness, but how do I actually start spiritual conversations when the opportunity arises? And, and, and I think, ah, I don't know how to do that. How do I transition from just talking about my favorite sports team or my favorite chainsaw, okay? And how, how do you bring that around to talk about your faith? So we're going to do a, a special forum on the topic, how to begin those conversations. Two weeks from today in the high school room at 9 o'clock. Why the high school room? Because I think most of us need this. So we wanted to have enough places, enough seats to pack you in. I really challenge you, unless you're already comfortable just talking about spiritual things, then you stay away. You don't need this. But if you think you have that need, take us up on the offer. March 1st, how to be salt and light, how to do this in the workplace. And we're going to have some business uh, people from the workplace talking about how they've experienced doing this in the context of their job. Uh, on, the, uh, on the 8th of March, we're going to have a team talking about how do you do this in relation to hobbies? How do you leverage the things you like to do for fun anyway and actually be used by God in doing that? So these are forms. If any one or all three of these apply to your life, take me up on the challenge. Come at 9 o'clock and then come back at 10.45 for the sermon. What I really like about today is a video that I saw. And it's a video story of one of our own young entrepreneurial business guys who you will recognize. But he's talking about what he's been trying to do to go in the context of his lifestyle. Church, work, everything. Listen to this story. Hi, I'm Cole Pittsford. Uh, I'm on staff here at Seacoast. I do um, all the videos that you see on Sunday mornings, but I have a lot of mission fields just because of the nature of my work. I work freelance as well as for the church, and so I have a lot of different pools of people that I go around to, and so to have the consistency of representing Christ in whatever group I'm in is important so that there's no difference between me at church and me in the business world. Just another thing is that I'm intentional about not hiding my faith. They know who I am, they know what I stand for, and hopefully I, I do that and reflect Christ as best as possible. Um, sometimes that is just when you're working with picky clients, it's just to be forgiving and understanding and just kind of show that patience that, that God has. We have the opportunity to be a part of God's mission every day, but it does take the initiative and the intentionality to acknowledge God and to pray to Him and listen to Him. I do it at the start of my day. It's the first thing that I do because it sets me in the mindset of, God, what do you have for me today? You know, I have this list of tasks and things to do, but God, please change my plans if that's if you have something for me. This is God's day, not my day. It helps me to uh, see more opportunities that he puts in front of me. I think one of the things that God has gifted me with is just 
I love people. I'm a people person. I think wherever I go, whether that's junior high or business or church or friends, I just being relational with people and building relationships that are more than just surface level, where really build the trust and the friendship is just something that I really cherish and I really enjoy. And so God using that through me is uh, I've just been able to see people grow and that gets me excited. When I had the privilege of going to Tanzania with the, the team at Seacoast, um, there was a lot of opportunities to just show love to people, and I really loved it. And I met this one guy uh, named Kerry, and, and we just I had a chance to, to really talk to him, listen to him, listen to his life, and um, we still keep in touch through email. He's got a, a Swahili Bible now that he's excited about reading, and, and he's connecting with a pastor down in Dar es Salaam. And so it's really cool just to see how the love that I've shown to him, now God has used that and he's taken off on his own journey and growing by himself. I think it's cool to know that um, it's not up to us to lead people to Christ and that just in our everyday little interactions with people, even little things God can use um, to radically change people's lives. And so I think if we just have that mindset of don't be afraid to show people love because I have to lead them to Christ or anything like that, but just show love and let, let the Holy Spirit do its job and allow people to grow, allow those interactions with believers and representatives of Jesus to change people's lives. That says it all. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for uh, that story. Thank you for that example. Thank you for the letter that we heard from one of our college students loving on someone who comes through their their uh, station at the, uh, at the grocery store every week. Thank you for the chance, Father, to remember that we are uniquely woven and shaped and changed and configured by you. Thank you that... Um, all of those threads that make us up creates a beautiful tapestry that you can use for good works, crafted by your grace, customized by your grace. Would you use us? Use us this week in our everyday world as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Father, as we move into communion now, uh, as our final moment of worship, I want to ask you to make this a time in which we can quietly reflect, kind of meet with you, pray with you. Spend some time, Father, just confessing any sin that's in our lives and, and again remembering the beauty of your grace. So thank you for your grace. Thank you that your forgiveness is free. We don't earn it. And Father, as we partake in a few minutes together of this little piece of bread, let it be a reminder of the body of Jesus sacrificed for us, of the cup that reminds us of the blood of Christ shed for us, his life sacrificed that we might live. Thank you that's more than a spiritual boost of religion, that it gives us life. So use this, Father, as we, as we worship around your Lord's table in Christ's name. Amen. This week we're going to serve these elements to you where you sit because we just want you to be able to sit quietly, pray, prepare your heart. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your trust is in him. 
We encourage you to join us in this. If not, just let that pass. But uh, whether you worship best by sitting and praying quietly now or you want to engage and sing, just do whatever prepares you to say thank you to Jesus for what he's done. And then we'll partake together in a few minutes.